Hi there, it's Mark from Third Shot Sports. This is Pickleball Problems. Pickleball Problems is the podcast where you tell me all about what's going on in your pickleball life and what kinds of problems you would like solved. Getting your questions to me is easy. Just send me a voice memo. Open up your phone, ask Siri or whoever manages your phone where voice memo is, record it, and then send it to me, mark at thirdshotsports.com. All right, let's get to the questions. Hi, Mark. This is Mary from East Tennessee, and I have a question. Sometimes my arthritis flares up and it makes it hard for me to run back to retrieve lobs. So I was wondering, what techniques can I do to make it more difficult for my opponents to initiate lobs? Generally, when people ask me how to prevent their opponents from lobbing so much, my answer is to have a better overhead smash. Your opponents are lobbing because it's effective, and if your smash is weak, if you can't put it away, there's no disadvantage to them putting up that high ball trying to hit over you. If, on the other hand, your smash is great, you can hit it hard, you can hit it with good control over the direction and the speed and the placement, well, then the lob becomes a liability for them and they're going to be less likely to do it. But of course, your question wasn't, how do you have a better overhead smash? Your question was about how do you stop your opponents from lobbing in the first place? How do you disincentivize them to play those high balls? And that's a different kind of problem altogether. The most obvious option is to not get quite so close to the net. If you're only an inch or two from the non-volley zone, that means there's a lot of space behind you, between you and the baseline, for them to play their lob. And if you can't cover that space effectively because of the arthritis that you talked about, well, then that's a lot of open space for them to hit to. So instead of being right up near the non-volley zone, you could hang back a few feet. I know sometimes this is referred to as no man's land. By the way, I think that's a stupid name for it. And it's also misleading because a lot of times you do play from three-quarter court. But I digress. So maybe you're back a few feet from the non-volley zone. And that will give them less opportunity to hit a good lob because you're now covering a lot of the territory where they would normally be hitting it too. Of course, by backing up from the non-volley zone, while you might solve that one problem, you create another one. And that is, there's a lot of distance now, relatively speaking, between you and the net. And that distance allows your opponents more space, more territory, where they can hit a low ball towards your feet. And low balls towards feet can be quite awkward as well. But you might think that that's a trade-off worth making. Hey, I'm going to have a few more low balls that I've got to contend with, but you know what? At least they're going to stay in front of me. At least they're not going to be high balls that I can't get to to hit that overhead smash. And that might be a good trade-off. There's a second thing you can do to make it not less likely that they lob you, but less likely that they can play a lob that you can't get, a less effective lob. Often when I see people in our clinics or private lessons, they say, oh, Mark, I play these people, they're such great lobbers. Well, what I observe is that they're really great lobbers because we give them really easy balls to lob. Let's imagine someone's a really great lobber on the third shot. Well, if my return of serve is slow and high and short and maybe right to their forehand, there's a very good chance that they're going to be able to play whatever kind of third shot they want pretty effectively. And that includes lobs. Too often, people are good lobbers because we make them good lobbers. We give them easy balls, and then they can do what they want. They can place the ball where they want. So one of the options for you is to be a little more aggressive with the kind of ball you're hitting. 
If, for example, they're lobbing on the third shot, well, make sure that your return of serve is a little more effective, a little faster, a little lower, maybe with some spin on it, maybe to a weakness like a backhand. Maybe you make them move something, something, so that they can't hit that lob quite so easily as they could. And that might make them hit a poor lob that you can get to, or maybe even choose not to lob at all because they realize they're in a bad position and their lob is less likely to be a good one. Now, this means that you have to play a little bit riskier. You have to go for more of your shots. You've got to hit lower or faster, closer to a sideline, closer to the net. And of course, there's risk when you do that. But as you said in your question, right now you're getting punished by not doing enough, by allowing them to play a lob. Then maybe that risk is worth it. Good luck. Okay, so I have a question for you. What is it? Have you ever played pickleball before? Yeah. Yeah? What's your favorite part of pickleball? I like hitting the ball. Do you think it's more fun to play with a friend or by yourself? The friend. Can you play with a friend? Yeah. Thanks for your help. Welcome. Whether you like training on your own or with a buddy, we've got you covered. Head over to thirdshotsports.com and use the promo code PROBLEMS to get a great discount on one of our drill guides. Have more fun hitting the ball. Thirdshotsports.com Let's go make breakfast. Can I hear it? I can hold it. Hey, Mark. This is David Steffen from the Little Rock, Arkansas area. If I get pulled off the the edge of the court, a lot of times uh, lesser skilled players will leave a gap between them. So if, if the player directly across from me shifts with me to cover the sideline and kind of block that lane, uh, a lot of times uh, his partner won't, you know, scoot over to cover the middle, which leaves that open. And, uh, you know, it's one of my favorite shots, shooting down that gap in the middle. I've found if I'm playing with more skilled players, a lot of times I'll misjudge that shot and they've closed the gap better than I thought or perceived, and uh, the, the ball will come back fast and hard. My question is this. What are some alternative shots? Should I just be dinking it back? I think I'm nervous because I've gotten pulled off the, the court. If I was going to coach myself, I would probably say dink it, but I want to do something more with it. Maybe I'm just being overambitious with with the point. You are being overly ambitious. Look, if your opponents have you in a situation where you are chasing the ball, where you are going off the court, where you feel like you're in a really difficult position, the last thing you should be trying to do is something offensive-minded. This is one of the things that separates uh, intermediate players from advanced players. Advanced players know when they are in a bad position, a defensive position, the thing to do is to not try to do something offensive, to not try to pull a rabbit out of your hat, or use some other euphemism if you want. It is instead to stay alive, to stay in the point, to play something defensive, or really just something neutralizing. You should, in fact, play a dink in this situation, because think about the alternatives. One alternative, which you've already mentioned, is you hit it back with speed. Well, that's not going to work well if your opponents are doing what they should be doing, which is being ready for a fastball through the middle. That ball will get to them fast and will come back fast, and you will lose. 
Alternatively, you could play a lob, and this would work well if the opponents you're playing against are poor movers or have poor overhead smashes. But I'm assuming that you're playing against people who are decent movers and have decent overhead smashes, and you don't want them smashing the ball at you if you are up at the net. So the lob is out and the fastball is out. Well, you've only really got one option left, David, and that is to play a dink. That would be the appropriate shot in this situation, to play a slow and low ball that forces an upward hit from your opponent. This is the appropriate shot, since a low and slow ball takes a relatively long time to get back over the net. That would give you time to recover back into the court. And if you play a good dink, then your opponents have to hit relatively slowly themselves if they want to keep the ball back in play. Now my recommendation would be to play this ball cross-court, where the net is lower and the distance is longer. However, in the situation you're describing where you're reaching for the ball, I'm guessing it's going to be hard for you to hit cross-court because you can't quite get the outside part of the ball. What you'll often see the pros do when they are pulled out wide on either their forehand or backhand side and they play a dink is they'll play a dink down the line, a very short one close to the net uh, that has a fairly pronounced upward arc to get up and over the net uh, without needing any speed. Denline is not ideal because you've got the high part of the net you're dealing with and your opponents are quite close to you, but if the cross court isn't there, or even over the middle isn't there, you're going to have to play down the line. This, my friend, is what people talk about when they talk about being patient. Not every single time you touch the ball is it a chance to win the point. Good luck. Is there a drill I could do to work on learning how to not hit out balls? All right, this call actually came to us from Jerry Roberts in California. However, Jerry, the audio quality was not great. It wasn't a terrific phone line. So I got my wife, Laura, to ask the question for you. And before I answer, I'll let people know that we're now doing a new thing here. Instead of calling into the phone line, we encourage people to make a voice memo. This is very easy to do on your phone. Just say, hey, Siri, open voice memo, if you don't know where it is on your iPhone. And it's really easy. You just record a voice memo and then email it to me, mark at thirdshotsports.com. The audio quality is super, and it's pretty easy, too. Okay, now to the answer. You asked about how can players learn? Is there a shortcut? Is there a method? Is there something you can do to learn when to let balls go out instead of to hit those balls? And the answer is yes, there are lots of things you can do. One of my favorite drills, and we're actually just working on a video for this right now. One of my favorite drills is to have one player uh, up at the kitchen at the non-volley zone and the other person somewhere else in the court. This could be from the baseline. It could be from a three-quarter court. Even could be from the kitchen themselves. And what's going to happen is that person, um, the person who's learning to let balls go, they are not going to touch the ball. In fact, they don't even need a paddle. The other player who's standing somewhere else in the court, here's what they're going to do. They're going to drop the ball on the ground, and then they are going to smack it. And they're going to smack it towards the player at the net. And the player at the net, their job is to predict whether that ball will land in or out. Whether yes, that is a ball that they should hit, or no, that is a ball that they should let go out. And what they're going to do is they're not going to hit it, even if they think it's a yes ball. They're going to call out yes or no, and then they're going to observe where did that ball land. And so by doing this, what you're training is not paddle skills, but what we call reception skills, being able to receive a ball well, to observe the height, speed, spin of the ball, and to figure out whether that's a ball that would land inbounds or out. And by doing this, by taking the paddle out of the picture and just training your eyes, you start to develop those skills a little bit. You start to figure out how fast is too fast, which is a ball that you should let go out. How high is too high, which is a ball that you should let go out. And by taking away the paddles, you work on those reception skills. You can then put the paddle back in the player's hands 
and they call yes or no, and then they hit the volley. So again, one more time, one person stands up at the kitchen, the other player stands somewhere else on the court, player who's standing somewhere else on the court drops the ball and then whacks it, uh, low fastball, or you can moderate the speed and spin and height and try to confuse the person at the net, and the net player just has to predict, yes, that ball will land in, or no, that ball will land out, and try to predict it before the ball crosses the net. In the beginning, we gave you unlimited power and asked just one thing in return. Just one thing. Just keep it in. What were we thinking? Mistakes were made. Lives were lost. But this time, just relax. We've got you covered. Selkirk. Power. Control. No compromise. Hi, Mark. This is Jim Ross from the Portland, Maine area. I am wondering about why the top players do not follow your recommendation to be aggressive with both the serve and return of serve. I like your thoughts on that, and I try to practice it myself, but when I watch the top players on video, they just seem to get the ball in on both serves and returns. I'm wondering why they are more aggressive. Thanks. If you followed Third Shot Sports for a while, you know that one of the things we advocate for is caring more about the first two shots of a point, the serve and the return. For too long, I think, people have thought about the serve and the return as being shots that you merely start the point with, that you really just get the ball going until the third shot happens. But this doesn't have to be the case. The serve and return can be used to cause some trouble for your opponents. And where people often misunderstand what I'm saying is right here. By causing trouble for your opponents, I'm not saying try to hit the serve or the return so hard or so low or with so much spin or so well placed that the opponents can't get the ball back in the court at all. I think that's an unrealistic expectation. But I do think that by hitting your serve or return with more of a clear intention, that perhaps you make it more likely that your opponents can't do exactly what they want with the ball. For example, if your opponents want to return deep to pin you, the serving team, behind the baseline. A good serve out to the backhand instead of the forehand might make that less likely. Likewise, if you hit a return of serve away from the middle and instead towards the weaker of your two opponents, they're less likely to play a great third shot. And these little things are some important gains that a lot of recreational players can make without having to do too much work. But your question was more specifically about the pros. It appears that the pros aren't taking my advice. Imagine that. Um, and why would that be? Well, I think there's a few answers to this question. First, different pros play with different game styles, just like any other sport. When you see players like Robert Elliott or Tyson McGuffin or Simone Jardim or Lucy Kovalova or Abby, Abby David, these are players who, I can tell you, regularly hit their serves with the intention of causing a weak reply. These balls are lower and faster typically, they're hit with a fair amount of topspin so that they bounce and they rebound quickly into the returner. And so while there are still players out there, let's call them the old school traditionalists, who really just start the point, I think it's changing and I expect it to continue to change over the next couple of years. There's another answer to this question. Often for the casual observer, when you watch the pros play, they look so relaxed, they look so calm, they make it look so effortless. And that's because they have the physical and the technical skills to play in a really coordinated way to generate power and speed without that much physical effort. 
And so sometimes for the casual observer, it appears as though they're not trying very hard, they're just getting it in. But on the receiving end, you feel and see something quite different. You see those balls have a little more bite when it comes to spin. You see that the ball is returned uh, to make the opponent move versus keep them in a stationary place. So because they make it look so easy, I think sometimes it seems deceptively underwhelming. That they're not doing that much with it. And finally, I would say this. One of the things that the pros do better than recreational players is they counter their opponent's moves. So for example, if I'm playing someone like Tyson McGuffin, who you can take it from first-hand experience, he hits a pretty tough ball to return on both the serve and return of serve. Well, I can counter that difficult ball a little bit. I can do that by making sure that I back up, that I give myself more time to handle his shot by standing further behind the baseline when he's hitting. And so pro players are very good at counteracting their opponent's offensive moves by repositioning themselves and sort of neutralizing the effect. And so it's a little game of cat and mouse. One player becomes more aggressive and one player defends better by changing their position. So at some point of this back and forth cat and mouse game, the server or the returner who might want to do something rather offensive, they're limited in their ability to do that because their opponents have played smart strategic defensive moves against it. So in the end, those two things can often balance each other out. And so if they balance each other out, the server or the returner may in fact say, okay, there's not a lot of gains to be made here because my opponent is playing in a smart way, so I might as well not take any risk or very minimal risk. That's where there's an important difference between the pros and most other recreational players. In my experience, watching a lot of recreational players in our clinics and at tournaments, is that they often aren't as good at counteracting those strategies. So when serves start getting hit harder, the 3-0 and 3-5 and sometimes even 4-0 players don't actually change their position. They don't get further behind the baseline, they just keep standing from the place that they always stand when they return serve. And now they have less time to handle the ball because it's coming faster or it's landing at their feet. And so I think that there's a lot of gains to be made for those lower level players, gains that uh, diminish a little bit as you get to the 4-5 and 5-0 levels. So I think those three explanations, the fact that there's a variety of players out there at the pro level who play with quite different game styles, the fact that when they do hit the ball, it looks so effortless that it can be deceiving, and finally, the fact that the pros are good at counteracting the offensive moves by their opponents, that sometimes those offensive moves and defensive moves cancel each other out to the point where the potential advantage is diminished so far that it's not really worth taking any risk. And we'll leave it there. Thanks to everyone who sent me a question this week. If you have a pickleball problem that you'd like me to solve, getting us the question is easy. Just open up your phone and send me a voice memo to mark at thirdshotsports.com. That's the best way to get us great audio, and it's super easy. Just open up your phone, find out where voice memo is, and send me one.